Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be back in person on the stage. Uh, the last two years were quite a change of mind. Uh, I would say that we're living in a time of transformation that's pretty much unprecedented. Uh, not just in terms of technology, because a lot of technology is finally actually working. Right? Uh, and that, for example, artificial intelligence, it's not like humans, it's not that intelligent. But intelligent assistance is working really well. Right? So software is getting smart, machines are learning, climate change, we have all the tech we need to solve climate change, already almost there. I'll talk more about that later. We're just not using it wisely. But you look at all the changes, there's technology and then there's social changes, like what happened in social media, right? We're sort of witnessing the end of the social media period as we, as we know it. What happens in governance, like all of Southern America is now left-leaning parties, right? Uh, and basically the world is changing at a mind-boggling pace. And I want to start by saying that really I love this term that I ran across somewhere on Twitter. <laughs> That, you know, I hope it's still there tonight, I'll take another look. But perma-change, right? Perma-change to me means basically, uh, some people say it's perma-vuca, right? Constantly one wave of change after the other. Right? And that's some waves that have been there for a while, like climate change, which is now exploding, right? Like 3D printing, which has been there for 30 years, finally exploding, right? And there's 11 game changes I've looked at in my Last couple of years, I collected a little bit more on those. I will send the slide around later. You can take a good look. But basically, uh, intelligent machines, quantum computing, voice translation, the blockchain, of course, 3D printing, genetic engineering. Yeah, I could add a few more on that. Right? So basically, when you look at this thing, well, all these things used to be there for a while, but they're finally actually working. At least now they're promising to work a lot more than before. And so we're moving into like smart cities, right? where we can save 50, 60% of energy costs, and we can prevent pollution, and we can do all of these things that were unthinkable before. The Saudis are building a city called Neom, right? Uh, well, they want to build the city called Neom. Uh, and it's quite interesting, the whole debate around this, right? The kind of like a mock-up like this, everything automated, of course, uh, carbon neutral and so on, but basically that's going to be absolutely everywhere. And as we're going there, we're seeing those four waves being amplified, right? The first one, of course, COVID and other pandemics. To that, I would say we're probably not prepared enough for other pandemics, right? uh, looking at what we have, we have supposedly learned. The recession, which in my view will not last very long, but it's still quite scary, especially here in the UK. Right? I live in Switzerland where it's you know, it's, it's kind of safe of those things for the time being, right? And climate change, right? This wave has been there for a long time. This is the number one wave now. Basically, after Ukraine-Russia kind of wraps up in some way or the other, I would say carefully in the next six months, I, ex I expect, then this is going to be the dominant topic. Right? Especially after the failure of COP27, you know, that last climate conference, which didn't really produce anything tangible except for the north-south payments. The last big wave is singularity, machines becoming as smart as humans. Ray Kurzweil says, or the future is, is 2050, I think it's probably going to be earlier. Uh, machines that can, in theory, simulate what it means to be human. Artificial general intelligence. So far, we're very far away from this. Right? Like right now, self-driving cars don't really make it. 
you can go to Palo Alto and you can, you can ride in a Waymo, right? But I always say a five-year-old kid could drive in Palo Alto in the suburbs, you know, just, you know, that's what the machine does. But take the self-driving car on the German Autobahn, right? you are in deep trouble, right? And we really don't have self-driving, you know, we have attempts, right? And that is because machine intelligence is pretty far away from human intelligence, right? We have social intelligence, emotional intelligence, uh, cognitive, of course, but these waves are coming everywhere. So I would say the next 10 years will bring more change than the previous 100 years. And guess what? This isn't bad news, right? Of course, it's bad news what we had to do during COVID, but in the COVID crisis, we invented a new kind of way of looking at disease with mRNA, which in theory may be applicable to diabetes, even possibly to cancer. Yes, many other bad things happened. 22 million people died, right? But all of these things have side effects that are helping us to reinvent. I believe the scariest one is really the last one. Climate change, it's painful. It's going to cost a lot of money, but it will also produce a lot of money. I think we can solve it, right? The last one is much more complex, but uh, I'll touch a little bit on this. I made a movie recently called Twice Upon a Time. It just came out 10 days ago. Uh, where I talk about what is the worst case for 2030 and what is you know, the best case <laughs> and the worst case. Right? Uh, because basically both things could happen. I made another film last year called The Good Future, which talks about exactly the good scenario. But basically those things can happen together in a kind of strange way. So in this film that was shot in Lanzarote, you may know, Canary Islands, I talk about what it would take to make a good future and what good is. What is a good future is obviously different for some people. And I speak about basically what it would take. And I was reminded of the American future with Barbara Hubbard, who said, as we see the future, so we act. And as we act, so we become. In other words, if we have a negative view of the future, we tend to expect bad things. Right? And then we fulfill them. And it's interesting to see, for example, in the UK, it's a different approach to the future than we have in Switzerland or Germany. Right? In Germany, we are perfectionists. We, we don't want the future unless it's perfect. Right? But the entrepreneurship that we see here, of course, and in the US is really quite different. But we're heading to a wave of paradigm shifts. I can't explain all of them, but I will send you a PDF later. Suffice to say, when they all come together, it's basically super transformation time. I'll, I'll highlight a couple of them, but uh, these are two uh, basically extremely powerful, amplifying each other. I'm going to zoom in on just a few of them. Uh, the first one is really we're going from economic worries to climate worries. Okay. So the fact that we always talk about economics and GDP and growth and jobs and money and stock markets, right? That's kind of coming to an end because now that's still important. But this has become the number one topic. Why does it matter to live in a world and have more money when there's no world to begin with in 20 years? Right? If you have kids, you worry about that. Right? And that's kind of what we're looking at. So the emergency is now, uh, you can feel it everywhere. And we're moving from carbon to clean in the next 10 years. No matter what all the resistance is, of course, to doing that, right? because there's a lot of sunk assets there, right? the movement has happened very quickly. The second one is our culture is changing. People like me and Gen Y and Boomers, Gen X and Boomers, are moving out of the picture in terms of running the show, right? 
especially in countries like Russia and also other countries, and the millennials are coming. Right? They were kind of squashed in the COVID uh, two years, so I couldn't really do anything, but now they're coming back. Basically, you see this already happening in the next five years. Younger generations will take over politics, decision-making, company, money, right? Because they're going to inherit lots of money, especially in Asia, and the wealth transfer, right? The last one is that work is going from physical to digital. We're still going to get together, obviously, and work in offices, right? But the digital work option is exploding, right? especially essentially in those countries where you don't have the other options as easily. That's going to change our society, our cities, probably to the, to the best of it. But uh, the overriding uh, concept is still this idea of saying, what kind of purpose do I have? Right? This is especially important for the millennials. I have one son, he's 33, right? and he will not work for any company that doesn't show purpose. Right? And that's becoming so true, actually expanding into all the way up to the late 30s you know, in terms of age. So that kind of reminds me of this, right? 1968, when I was seven. I, well, I wasn't there, obviously. But I do like bullets, I have to say. Uh, 1968 was the last time we had this dramatic cut in society. Different rules, different ideas, right? Music, sexual revolution, change of politics, the Vietnam War, all of those changes, the, the civil rights movement. That was a giant boost a year, and the world was different afterwards. And I think we're very much in the same situation now. Right, 2023 could be a year like 1968. If it wasn't for this, I'm sure you're familiar with this, a lot of people are like, oh my God, the world is ending, right? Dictators, nuclear threats, right? failed negotiations, hunger, food, right? energy crisis, long list. This is what kids are saying, right? I used to be afraid of Halloween. Now I'm afraid of long list, right? Freezing, hailstones, drowning, burning, animals, people's long list, right? And this is what they're doing right here in London, right? Mind you, you don't have to be surprised from the frustration that you see with Extinction Rebellion or groups like this, right? why this is happening, right? When you're looking at, basically, every time we have a major climate meeting in the court, the numbers go up on CO2, right? Every time, they never go down. And if you look at the curve, you have 15 agreements and going up like this, right? So looking at this, a lot of people are saying, well, this is the future, right? Because it kind of seems when we look at things that this is the obvious scenario. And then Greta is saying, our politicians will not come to rescue us. Basically, they're useless. Right? That's what you said before going to COP. So we have this kind of choice in media between dystopia, which is basically all of Hollywood, Nollywood, Bollywood, Netflix, Wood, whatever. Most of the things about the future are dystopia. Black Mirror, right? Uh, all of those shows that we're looking at basically are about this, you know. Things are going to end badly. And then there's utopia. The bad thing about utopia is it doesn't happen, ever. Right? The only film that managed to make a good bridge is Star Trek, right? <laughs> right? Because it was the only, like, it wasn't dystopian, it was kind of weird utopian. But here's a new word, right? That is the decision-making between the good or bad. It's called protopia. Right? 
It's from Kevin Kelly, the co-founder of Wired. And he says, Portopia is a good word because we are going stepwise into a better future. We're not leaping, we're crawling, right? But it's kind of realistic. You know, utopia isn't realistic. We're not going to live in nirvana, right? Um, we don't want dystopia. So Kevin says, basically, we should be optimistic, not because our problems are smaller. They're not. In some ways, maybe they are, over all terms, but he says, because we have more capacity to solve the problem. And that's a very good viewpoint I want you to just, uh, hold on to. I, I'll give you some proof, right? Technological innovation, last 10 years, robotics, blockchain, genome sequence and energy storage. We're going to see cars that can go for 2,000 miles, right? 2,000 miles and one battery charge. That's already up around 600 if you drive like a snail, right? But in theory, right, look at all this multi-trillion dollar innovation platforms. Right? There's plenty of innovation, plenty of money, plenty of new jobs, right? That's all right here in front of us. Technology is making everything cheaper and cheaper. Right? Solar cells are down 96% in cost. Batteries are falling. Right? Electric cars are declining in costs. Uh, genome analysis, right? Very soon, all of us can have their genomes done and compared and be alerted of potential risk and health issues and cancer, of course, primarily, if we were able to trust the cloud, you know, where it resides. Nuclear fusion, right? I mean, this is like basically saying nuclear fusion is the opposite of fission, right? so there's no, uh, no uh, substances after the process, and trillions are being invested in reinventing our energy space. ETA, roughly 10 years, unlimited energy, right? together with solar and renewable resources, of course. So when we go down this direction, this is the most, the best one, actually. The next 100 unicorns, you know, billion-dollar companies, will all be in climate technology. This is all happening right now. It's basically the biggest change that we're seeing right now. All the money is going to climate tech, just like all the money used to go into cloud right, and transformation and of course, there's a lot of overlap here, right? Lots and lots of people are investing. And it's, it's amazing. So I always say we have all the tools, the science and the tech, but we must work on the telos, right? the wisdom, Greek word, right? Using it correctly, putting the money in the right places. What we have now clearly is this, right? We have this already at the horizon. Green is the new digital. In every possible way, investment, jobs, Output, money, change. So that's, a, that's good news, I think, because basically it says, if we weren't so stupid about our policies and making the wrong decisions, we have everything already, right? I mean, what we have to do is switch the $5.6 trillion of fossil fuel subsidy to green, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's gonna hurt a few people, but you know, the same companies will still be there, just like the record labels are still there with Spotify. And so we're seeing that future uh, forming this, and we have three simultaneous revolutions at the same time. The first ones you know, of course, the first two. Uh, the other three are now digital revolution, sustainability revolution, and human revolution. They're all happening at the same time. Consider yourself lucky because the human revolution, for example, says it's still important that we are human. And that's, this is what's happening right now when we look at social media now and Facebook and, and every, the whole discussion about humans actually still matter. Right? 
There's still quite a few things that humans can only do that machines don't do. And then, of course, we also have a second human revolution with genome editing, right, where we can actually change, potentially, who we are. That's a scary thought right there. Right? But they're all happening at the same time. So let me talk about technology first, the digital revolution. I'll show you a short video to start that topic. Hey, folks, slow down. Slowing down. Anchor down. Anchor down. And stop. And fun. Peel shrimps. Peeling shrimps. Mm. Rotating for maximum sun. get the point, right? This is an insurance company from Norway, I think, that made this commercial. But basically, it, it kind of shows in a paradigm, in, in a parody kind of way, uh, how technology that means well, and that in principle should work, is not actually working, right? This is kind of like digital money, right? If you imagine we all switch to digital money, like many uh, so-called um, uh, bank digital currencies, right? If we switch to that, then it could be, for example, that we uh, have a control mechanism that says where well, you can spend that money that you're getting through the digital means, right? For example, through retirement benefits and so on. So there's many things of those where we have to worry about technology becoming a little bit too much. So this uh, little animation here shows kind of what's happening there. Um, is it starting? No? Okay, sorry, I'll play it one more time. So I have hope that it will recover, but if not, we can skip it. So sorry about that. Okay, well, let's skip this one. Basically, when we look at past of our history, we already have this kind of technology, super technology that we saw in films like Minority Report. And now we're seeing the virtual reality hologram that Facebook is promising, Facebook Horizons, right? And of course, we have let's this. Let's take a closer look. What part of the solar system are we talking about? Saturn. If you were taking astrophysics, you could What I love about these movies is that they have always the jingle jangle music in the background, which, which makes you immediately suspicious that they're lying, right? <laughs> I think, but talking about lying, hello, Mark. Um, so, um, Mark is of course the, the chief metaverse guy, right? And this is why Facebook is tanking or meta is tanking. But he said the other day, the metaverse is about the time when immersive digital worlds become the primary way we live our lives. Wow, I'm saying most people wouldn't really agree with that, right? <laughs> you know, maybe that's his vision to get everybody into his kingdom, but ultimately, of course, the metaverse is this kind of thing where we have to say, well, that's great, but technology alone won't save us. I think it's a great place to go to if your life is boring, you live in a seven square foot apartment, you can escape to the metaverse, right? Sounds very plausible, like most gamers know what I'm talking about, right? But really the problem with technology is this, right? Technology is getting more powerful, but it doesn't know the first thing about what it means to be human, right? Technology algorithms understand the logic of everything, 
but the feeling of nothing. That's kind of a problem. If I told an AI, take care of climate change in the most efficient and fastest way you could, it would kill all humans, right? It would make perfect sense, right? It's logic. We are the problem, so kill everybody. So, but of course, this is the problem with technology, right? We have to govern it, we have to make it ethical, we have to understand it. Right? So we're ending up in a place like this, where we can safely say, societies are kind of driven by technology, but defined by our ethics, by our values. This is why I'm happy to be here tonight. Uh, this company is a B Corp, so there should be some ethics and values forthcoming, already integrated there. Right? Ethics is knowing the difference between what you have the right to do, or the power, and what is the right thing to do. Somebody sent Mark a telegram about this thing. I mean, this is a huge problem now, right? Because a lot of technology companies have kind of lost track of this idea, what is the right thing to do, <laughs> right? And so this becomes an issue when we look at technology because technology in the beginning is very often like a present. Right? Instagram, like six years ago, now it's a bomb, right? A suicide machine for girls. So we're now basically at the point where we say too much technology is probably not good. It's like too much alcohol, too much smoking, too much eating. You know, more people die from obesity than hunger every year. Shouldn't say that before dinner, I suppose. But in any case, I mean, this is of course an, an inherent challenge in technology. So let's talk about sustainability. Basically what's happening here is that unthinkable becomes the new normal. Don't think for a minute we're gonna keep stalling like we have been. This has become a movement, like Gandhi freeing the Indians from the UK. Declaring their own country. Took 5% of Indians to be part of that movement, and then became 50 and very quickly. Right, this is what we have now. As soon as Ukraine-Russia winds down in some way, this is going to explode. So that means, for example, a carbon tax on flying, every single flight we take, carbon tax on meat, maybe even pan-European, you know those guys over there, uh, pan-European carbon tax mandatory to get out of the jam. I'd be the first one to agree. I live in Switzerland, I'd be safe, right? <laughs> but uh, just kidding. But basically what happens here is that all of a sudden our economic paradigm changes and it's no longer tech, which is tanking, right? I call it jokingly the SUSDAC, right? the Sustainable Company Stock Market. Maybe Unilever would be the first one to kind of move over to that. Right? And this is happening all across the board now. The whole ESG thing is being rebooted right? in this direction. Funding primary change to get out of fossil fuels. On the topic of flying, right? Of course, I am the worst offender here. You know? I do 100 speaking gigs a year. I go to Beijing for a day. Right? That's, I'm not a shining example. I used to. You know, COVID had changed that. But we all know, of course, flying is the worst way to go, especially local distances, you know, compared to the train. The top 2% of frequent flyers cause 40% of all airline travel-related emissions. I'm in the top 0.2%. So my personal contribution, I mean, I offset everything I do, but hey, still a problem, right? So basically, the richest people do the most damage, as you can see here. In this chart, all of us, of course, we are in this bracket here, high income or medium income. 
we produce most of the CO2 that is being put out. And the travel business airlines, roughly 3% of global pollution CO2 comes from flying. Doesn't sound like much, but it's quite considerable. So now, this is coming up, right? First proposals for mandatory flying carbon tax for frequent flyers. So if you're Lufthansa Horn Circle, like I am, right, you'd be here. <laughs> here. You start at like five quid and go all the way up to hundreds of quid per flight in the economy. So these proposals are circulating already. Right? How much money could we raise and how could we solve the problem? Right? What's happening is a great example. Right? We're going from our activities being ecosystems. Right? Essentially, it's something we can do, something we enjoy, so you know, it's, it's for us, it, it's okay. It was okay for a long time to ecosystems. The entire car industry is now an ecosystem, right? Mobility, scooters, uh, electric services. And this is happening in every single industry. In pharma, for example, we're going to see a combination away from this kind of idea of pills and medication to technology and pills, right? This kind of idea of saying, okay, we can have network devices and digital therapeutics and so on, same basic idea. But the biggest change is here. Right? As we're looking back at a week where Aramco had the biggest profit ever, 46% up in BP as well. Right? But we're seeing this becoming a mainstream topic. Right? Being in the oil business in five years will be like being engaged in a criminal activity. And so they are maximizing whatever they can at this point. Right? But it's quite clear what's happening here is that this paradigm is shifting New York Times, two, night, two days ago, right? huge article about how Saudi Arabia has actually tried or has influenced the COP27 talks. Here's a sample, right? Basically, the Saudi representatives at COP27, they blocked the idea of mentioning fossil fuel in the final agreement, and they succeeded. Right? So an interesting uh, uh, scenario for a country, for example, that does a lot, actually, for green energy and to change, right? but this is the reality of what happened there. So now we're looking at a situation where that's really coming to a conclusion. And again, like I said earlier, uh, that's gonna be a big impetus to change across the board. I talk about humans a little bit and then I'll wrap up my talk. First, clearly this is what's happening, right? The human evolution, right? The question is how far do we go? Right? I mean, this we're, we're kind of here now Next year, we have the Apple glasses coming out, augmented reality. You know, that may be great for professionals. But do we really want to connect our brain to the internet, as Elon Musk has been? You know, the neural lace, right? It's not a joke, actually. He's working very seriously on this. Uh, and in fact, you know, there is one company in California that's working on an external birthing machine. If you're a woman, you have to take a look at this, right? It's called the exogenesis. You're not pregnant yourself, you have a machine that, I mean, right? That's basically what this is. Transhumanism, singularity. In this world that we're going into, we have a lot more robots everywhere. Software robots, hardware robots. But they will do only really the utmost routines. And this new pyramid is shaping up right, to where we're saying basically what's happening on the lower part of this pyramid, like Maslow, machines can do most of this. Right? Intellectual knowledge, logic, data, information, binary, right? 
yes, no, yes, no, if this, then that, right? Humans don't work like that, right? Like if I talk about your husband or your wife, you don't go back to your back of your brain, you pull up a JPEG and say, ah, oh, that's my wife or so, right? We, we don't work like this, right? It's much more connected. So what we do is on top of this pyramid, this is the human-only turf. And that's really what makes us successful. This is very difficult, if not impossible. Tacit knowledge for machines, understanding, wisdom, purpose, consciousness, sentience. And why would we want a machine to be sentient, right? Makes no sense. We want the machine just to do the job, right? to be competent. That would be enough. That already very, would be a very big accomplishment if we can do that. So that's also what's happening in education. The main thing about artificial intelligence is exactly this question. We can use it for all the other stuff, intelligent assistance, maybe a little bit of smarter machines, but we, what we don't want is this, right? We don't want a machine that's artificially general intelligent, like a human. Because that machine would have an IQ of one billion. Right? It would have already figured out the next 200 years ahead of time when we try to unplug it. Right? I mean, basically unstoppable, right? So you're going to see a moratorium on artificial intelligence, in the next 10 years that will sort of cut here, right? To say we can have all the practical stuff, you know, the smart software, but this part, right? And Elon Musk keeps warning about that too, but of course he wants about 100 things every day. So, summary and action items. First, let's accept this, right? Business as usual is dead or dying, and that is good news. Business as usual has many times uh, included sort of extraction of things, whether it's minerals and, and, and those kind of things, and oil and gas, or people, right? I mean, Facebook is in the people extraction business, basically, right? Taking our data. And now this is freeing us up to do new things. That's why I always say, basically, what's happening now is that the future is better than we think. Because now it's a reset point, right? Now we have a reason to change. Now we have the tech to change. As you could see in Cairo or in, in, in uh, Sharm al-Sheikh, it's not all that stuff that's missing. It's a way to get together and, and say, okay, let's get real and do something. It's like going to therapy, right? Same thing. If you're not willing to get real, <laughs> that's not going to go anywhere, right? So I always say what's happening today is that the doors aren't closing on humanity. It kind of feels that way sometimes when we look at, you know, if you watch news or read social media, right? The doors are opening. Basically, what we see now is a giant reset based on those three paradigms. Many jo new jobs, many new uh, possibilities of investing, a complete reset of our frame of mind. And that is exactly why it's so difficult. Right? I was in the music business, and I, did, I was involved in the first uh, attempt to put music online legally in the late 90s. And the record label said to us, you know, we don't want the internet, we don't want you mingling with our supply chain or with our distribution, basically we hate you, right? And they stood in the way of digital music for about 15 years until Spotify. Spotify gave them most of the company in return, which is why they agreed, right? But we have to learn from this. We have to learn that there are new doors opening and they don't mean that we can't make money or that it's gonna be a degrowth society, right? We're not going to a degrowth society, but we're going to grow circularly, right? Sustainably, that's completely different. 
Degrowth is difficult for humans. You know, we have kids, we travel, we make a mess, you know, we put out CO2. So degrowth is kind of hard for us. It would mean that we basically have to stop being human, <laughs> right? That wouldn't be good. So what's happening here, quite simply, is that this brings me to the future mindset. Right? We need to understand what goes on. Uh, as many people have said before me, futurists, uh, your mindset contains your future. If your mind is narrow, your future is narrow. And this is so important today because the future isn't in 20 years. Like it was when I got started 20 years ago, the future was far away. It was science fiction. Couldn't even download a song on the internet, right? much less the mobile phone. Right? And now the future is here. So the thing is, we think about the future as being somewhat out there, but every, every time you go somewhere, you realize all of a sudden you see a doctor that's using an AI to scan your, 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 your skin, right, and look for melanoma. This is happening right now, today. So very important to understand how this works. To, uh, you, know, you can buy these on Amazon. They're the future ears. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so how do you... This, of course, the radar operator from the 30s, right, that they were forced to wear these funnels so they can hear the enemy, enemy planes right, coming. And sometimes they were like huge, like 20 feet tall, so you can hear everything. The first thing is obs observation, right? I mean, if you can't answer the question, what is your job going to look like in five years? What will your company do? You are in deep trouble, right? Because we're not talking about five years, we're talking about five months at the pace of things, right? Exponential pace. So that's very important to work on this uh, and to go away from this thinking about that everything is going to be difficult, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex. That is true and that's not going to change. Right? We better become comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's just the way things are for the next decade or two. What we need to do is to switch, flip the VUCA, right? Velocity is a good British word, right? Unorthodoxy. I always think of Richard Branson when I think about that. Right? Just say, you know, I think it's going to work, so just do it. Right? We don't have that in Germany, on orthodoxy. Co-creation, right? working with others, not competition. Right? American word, love this awesomeness. Right? We don't have that in German either. Right? <laughs> There's a reason for that, I suppose. Right? But anyway, to flip this around, this is, this is crucial now. Right? Because no, it's no longer about efficiency and getting the job done and maximizing revenues and optimization and all that stuff, right? It's about resilience, right? Agility, pivoting, something that happens all the time in this country, right? This is, of course, what the UK has as a leg up compared to other cultures around us, right? Completely different in Switzerland. We don't do that in Switzerland, right? We don't pivot. Right? We continue. So this is very important, this, to adopt this mindset. Okay, how do you do that? It's basically one hour per day spent in the future. And I'm not talking about watching Netflix, okay? I'm talking about reading books, talking to interesting people, educating yourself on what's coming. The thing about the future, it's not about prediction, it's about observation, right? foresight. If you're going 20 miles per hour through the city, you can probably let the automatic pilot drive, like in a traffic jam in LA, you can, the Tesla can take over. But if you're going 200 miles an hour on the freeway, you need more foresight, right? You have to look way ahead. 
And this is what's happening now, where we're going faster and faster, we still look in the mirror and say, oh my God, look at this. So one hour a day, Bill Gates says, 45 minutes spent in the future, and then come back to today. This is crucial. Here's some books I've been reading. I put the list on my website. Here's my little book also, Technology vs. Humanity. Most important book right now is this one. Kim Stanley Robinson, the leading science fiction writer today, it's called The Ministry for the Future. And it takes place in 2030, it's science fiction, but it is so close to what we have today, it's very eerie, right? It's like three years ago, he wrote the book. It takes place in Zurich, by accident. But this is the book to read to be prepared, right? So what happens when you have the future mindset is that you become ready for anything. Because say, I heard this before, I, I have some information I can apply here, I can be flexible, right? And that is the crucial thing to do. So to wrap up, the good future isn't about predicting it, right? It's to architect it, to build it. Buckminster Fuller, famous futurist designer, a Canadian, I think, and UK heritage. We are to be architects of the future, not its victims. And I think it's time that we apply this principle to everything that we do. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>